Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. In today's episode, I would like to play you back a conversation with Dora Palfi, the co-founder and CEO of Imagilabs. This startup, which is based in Sweden, develops tools and a community for creative coding that specifically targets goals between 9 and 15 years old. So listen to this conversation to learn why this age is so particularly important and, of course, much more. Hey, this is Robin Walters from Tech.U, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual these days, uh, by Dora Palfi. She is the co-founder and CEO of a company in Sweden called Imagilabs. So we're going to talk about both. Before we talk about the company, I want to talk about the Dora part of it. Who are you? Where are you from? And uh, yeah, what drives you? Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me remotely. So like you mentioned, my name is Dora. Uh, I co-founded Imagilabs because of... Uh, my personal experience in tech and being one of the few women in tech and also because of seeing the bigger picture of how I believe technology is shaping our future and how women are not equally part of creating that future today. Actually, I like to sort of phrase this as an exercise of logic. So if we can agree that technology is the future and we also know that unfortunately today women uh, don't equally participate in the industry, in the EU, we make up less than 18% of the workforce. Then it also sort of logically follows that today we don't have an equal chance to shape our future. And so that's uh, why Imagilab started. And specifically with Imagilabs, we are targeting sort of the earlier part of the pipeline, uh, getting young women excited about programming and technology. Great. And how you do that is something we're going to discuss in a bit more detail. Uh, but before we start, you said you were drawing from your own experience uh, in, in the reason that you set up this company. Um, you were born and raised in uh, Budapest, if I'm not mistaken, and then you sort of traveled and, and, and did various things. So maybe can, can you run through the, your background uh, a little bit more in detail and then we can sort of see how you ended up doing what you do now. Yes, of course. All right. Originally, I'm from Budapest, Hungary. I grew up there. I had sort of a really deep background in, in science. Uh, specifically, I really enjoyed like all natural sciences and mathematics. But when I went to university, I did my bachelor's degree at New York University, but in Abu Dhabi or sort of part of a global scholarship program. I, I lived in the Middle East and in, in New York and also traveled across the globe, really. And my bachelor's degree is in neuroscience. I was just very drawn to understanding how humans think. And in the process of getting a science degree, I actually had an experience really early on where I had to know how to code. <laughs> and so I think that was like such a sort of realization. Oh my God, like in the 21st century, if you want to do anything, pretty much you have to know how computers work and, and you have to have a basic understanding of coding. And that's why I also had a minor in computer science uh, in university. And by the time I, I finished my degree, I actually decided uh, that a scientific research career wasn't for me. Uh, but by that point, I, I got in deeper and deeper into programming. And then I got my first job as a software developer. And then I also got accepted to a scholarship program for a master's degree in human-computer interaction, which was kind of combining all these interests I had before, the interest of sort of like humans and how humans think and, and behave and, and of technology. And in particular, what got me really excited about this field was how we could use technology to help humans' lives. And so I started a master's degree in, in this field and I worked a bit more with UX design as well. So I, I have been sort of in different parts of, of the tech industry, I would say. Very interesting. And how did you end up in Sweden? 
Right. So actually, uh, Sweden was sort of like the first step in in my master's degree program. I was studying as part of this EIT Digital, so like the European Institute of Innovation and Technology Master School. And so KTH, the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, was supposed to be only my first year. But then actually, out of a school project, grew out Imagilabs, and I never actually graduated from my master's degree. Or I, I usually joke that I am the real graduate because the whole point of the program was to, <laughs> to inspire more entrepreneurs in Europe. <laughs> So I, I graduated by actually starting a company. Yeah, graduated with honors, as they say. <laughs> um, so that's that's about four years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, since the company was founded, right? Actually, only about three years. But I mean, the research project was, I think, yeah, about four and a half years ago. But it was more of a gradual process where uh, this class project, the research work, just started to take up more and more space in my life. And that is going to be in July that we actually turned three years with the company. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now you said you had sort of different roles in different um, companies or institutions or, 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 or um, you know, in school, uh, sort of connected to technology, whether it's neuroscience as a scientist, the software developer, etc. In all of these fields and in all of these places, were you always in the minority as a woman? Right. Actually, I was. <laughs> I think out of all the sciences, potentially in biology is where you actually find a bit uh, more women and sometimes even more women than men. But in my personal experiences, that happened to be uh, that I was generally part of a, a minority. Which isn't necessarily, so like I always refer to, it's not a problem, right? Like it, it is not a, an issue on its own that you first start to notice, but then the more you think about it, and especially, for example, when I worked as a software developer, it was sort of funny that I was referred to as the girl on the seventh floor because I was literally the only uh, female developer in that area. But then the more I was thinking about it and not even seeing sort of like role models of like, where could I get uh, to in this career? And like, none of my managers were women and, and none of my managers managers. And I think the only like higher level female manager in all of the, the company where I was working was like in London. So, you know, like the more you dig deeper into it, you realize, oh, wow, it's not just that I'm a minority in this room, but actually I don't really see where I'm going within this uh, field. No. Well, the statistics also back up your experiences right. for the most part, I would say. Um, is there any particular um, piece of research or statistic that you tend to quote when it comes to, you know, women in, in STEM? Right. So, I mean, I think, like, of course, the basis of it is what I quoted earlier, that in Europe, women make up less than 18% of the ICT industry right now. Interestingly or sadly enough, this is a decrease from 10 years ago. While the number of women in like the total number has increased, it's just the industry is growing so quickly that actually the percentage has been decreasing. But I think the, the, the studies that I'm quoting specifically in, in the context of Imagine Labs, my company, is that there have been studies both in, in Europe uh, and in the U.S. showing that girls and boys have a more similar interest for technology and, and, and science until around the age of 11, 12. And the majority of girls lose their interest and confidence for, for tech and coding between the ages of 12 and 16. And so these are the studies that we have focused a lot on at Imagine Labs because these prove that there is a big opportunity to sort of like fix something in a pipeline uh, at the early teenage years. Great. Well, I have two young boys just under the age of 10. So um, for me, that's still relatively unknown. So I didn't know yeah. that. Um, what is the reason you think that, that girls sort of drop off at the age of 11, 12? 
Right. This is a, a great and very important question. I have some theories. So before I even started Imagilabs, I, I worked a lot uh, with sort of like the different stages of, of, of how we could encourage uh, youngsters to, to get into coding and also um, adults. And I did a lot of interviews with both men and women who were in tech. And something that came up a lot is that a lot of people who are working in tech got excited about the field because they played a lot of video games. And so it seems like uh, in the sort of like the early teenage years, there aren't a lot of sort of like tools that would fit into girls' lives and also tools that they could use together with their friends that would make it so that coding becomes part of their everyday. So there is not a lot of video games and, and there is also just like not a lot of community-based activities for girls. And so actually that was part of my my research uh, that I did at uh, the Real Institute of Technology here in Stockholm, uh, where I found that for this target group, so the girls between 10 and 15, like doing things together with friends are extremely important. Sort of self-expression and creativity is really important. And also something that we found and is gener- I think generally true is that this target group loves their phones and girls use their phones a lot more than they use computers. So actually, if we could make something that's sort of like mobile first, it, it would be a much more natural step for girls to take. I think that should bring us seamlessly to what you're doing at um, ImagiLab. So, so let's talk about what, what you actually develop or offer. Right. So ImagiLabs, we say overall that we are inspiring, but also equipping girls to create with technology and, and sort of join a movement to, to shape the future. And so part of that is a digital community. We have an app that is mobile first, um, where you can learn to code in Python, which is a real programming language. And you do that through creating different sort of designs and projects. So it is a creative canvas where you can express yourself with code. And then there's also a tangible component to our, our solution. We have, I have a, the box here of the <laughs> Imagine Charm, which is our sort of code your own Tamagotchi, or that's how it's been referred to by several journalists. So if I turn it on, it sort of, it has woken up and now it's ready to be coded. Uh, and so sort of that is, uh, I guess, like the first uh, step into the world of programming at ImagLabs. What I mentioned is that our digital um, community is actually a really, really strong component of it. What we see is that a lot of our users are sort of forming friendships around coding and, and their interest for technology. Great. Well, it sounds to me like a sort of a mix between social network, because you have this community, education technology, because they're actually teaching girls how to code, (laughs) but then also the tangible aspect, like the hardware aspect of it, which sounds like quite a lot to cover for a young company. Um, Am I wrong? No, that is definitely correct. I think, um, yeah, I, as a sort of founder, of course, I've been through this with my co-founders many times. Like, are we trying to do too much? It's quite complex, right? That we have all these components. It is really, really difficult, but we have studied use cases of similar companies who have had, you know, multiple components that they believed were really crucial for sort of like the overall success of the solution. And it takes longer to develop than if it was a software solution on its own. But we just have really high conviction and we've tested it a lot that, you know, the tangible aspect is an excellent sort of like first step. Um, and it sort of can spark and and uh, and inspire a lot of our, our community members. That the community is extremely important. And then the teaching aspect, I believe, is is really a big differentiator from a lot of the alternatives that are available to get 
girls ex- excited about coding today, whereas a lot of our alternatives are, are you know, meetups and events where girls might get sort of like a one-time exposure to coding, might get the community aspect, but they don't necessarily get this sort of like long-term learning, which I think is extremely important if you want to have a long-term inspa- uh, impact. So essentially, confidence for technology has to be grounded in, in some type of knowledge. And so we believe that actually giving that knowledge and giving the tools to gain that knowledge is going to be important for for um, a long-term impact. Yeah. Well, speaking of impact, because I was thinking about this as you were talking, um, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you're sort of bridging a gap where, you know, boys and girls have similar interests in technology until a certain age. Um, you want to sort of bridge the gap between 10 and 15, 16 years old, where, where girls tend to lose that intro, or at least they, they tend to not have the tools or the, the, the computers, for example, uh, that, that they use as much as boys. Um, once that bridge is gapped, um, they have to sort of decide what to study. And you want to sort of push girls into more STEM that way by making sure they don't drop off in that young age group, right? Right, sort of. I would not use the term push girls, but I think what's important <laughs> is to sort of provide an equal opportunity to discover if if STEM is for one or if coding is for one. And I also do believe that just like having had an exposure to coding and, and to technology and having the confidence that this is not something completely foreign, it's just going to be an, sort of like a superpower for, for girls and boys in the future in order for them to, to be able to excel in whatever career they end up choosing. And you're right, like right now we're focusing on this like 10 to 15 year old uh, age bracket sort of. Uh, but our long-term vision is to, to grow with our users all the way up until let's say around 18, 19, when they are ready to enter their first internships or, or higher education in the field. And Sort of jokingly, but not really. Uh, <laughs> I also like to say that in 10 years, we want to be able to have our own fund and start investing in the tech startups that will be started by the girls who first learned to code on, on the Imagilabs app. And sort of that is, I think, like the full cycle of it. Um, I really like to talk about coding as a, as a tool to just solve problems and problems that one cares about. And I think that's why it's so important that coding as a tool and as a language just reaches more people because the more diverse creators we have, the more diverse uh, problems we can solve, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I subscribe to that as well. Um, what, do, what, do, what do you need to achieve to get to that long-term vision? What needs to happen for that to, to happen? <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, like, impact measurement is such a complex topic, and I think now that there is a lot more sort of attention to it, um, there is also a lot more pressure to to be sort of professional about it, which I love. And we work with several frameworks, such as the theory of, of change. And so all these frameworks sort of... Um, Assume that you have short-term goals that you're achieving that are leading towards your impact, but also long-term ones. And so in our context, the reason why I'm saying this is that, you know, we have to succeed with our product, that our product has to be an exciting first step into coding. We have to succeed with the longer-term impact of it, that our community actually maintains the interest of of girls for for coding. And then, of course, we have to uh, succeed at scaling the solution and and essentially just reaching um, as many girls and in the process, boys as well, um, as possible in order to, to expose just more uh, youth to, to coding. Yeah. And whatever you're measuring your success against, like how's the company doing today? Like, are you sort of on the path where you wanted to be three years ago or four years right. ago? Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think something that we are focusing on a lot is, is to measure against all of these. So uh, like our North Star metric would be or is the number of girls who are coding on our platform. 
Uh, but of course, like I said, there is like a longer term measurement as well. Like how long are they staying engaged? And this is something that we are still very actively working on. How can we provide more content or how can we harvest more of the power of community to, to extend that uh, engagement timeline even longer? We do have girls. Uh, we have this group of girls called the Imagi Girls who have been part of sort of creating the, the product and who have been learning to code with us for I would say about two years now. So ever since we sort of like had the beta version of our platform, but essentially we are still working on, on what it will look like in the future to, to have it be a longer timeline. But I would say, yes, of course, we're definitely on sort of track. And I think that is what um, motivates both me, our team and my co-founders that we see these examples of, and we hear these stories of girls who are already sort of like succeeding. Um, one of our Imagi girls, she's the first one to actually go into university studying computer science next year. So, you know, we see like use, use cases or, or success stories. Um, and, and we are also seeing growing numbers. So definitely on track, but it's going to be a long journey. And I think just like I, I use an analogy with how sort of learning is. So. Optimal learning can never happen quickly. You know, for learning to take place, you need time and patience. And I think that's sort of the same with an ad tech company. I believe that for a successful educational product, you also need time um, and you need a lot of investment to see that that learning actually happens and and, and to improve on that. Yep. Uh, speaking of investment, do you have any investors on board as well? Yes. Yeah, so, so far, um, well... I would say from the beginning, Imagine Labs have been sort of financed through multitude of different sources. We actually only incorporated the company when we had our first customer who wanted to pay us and we had to make an invoice. So of course, like customers have been part of it. You know, we had a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we have gotten grants, but we've also had angel investors. So, so far we, we are uh, financed only through angel investors, uh, no VC funds. And we have some really, really stellar and amazing angels, which I, I really love because we, beyond the financing, right, we just get so much support. So one of our recent angels um, is Eros Rasmini, who was the CMO of Discord formerly, um, then David Basuski, the CEO of Roblox. And we also have uh, some local angels here in Sweden, but most of our angels are actually all entrepreneurs, which is extremely helpful for a young first time founding team. Um, and, and, you know, we just like that we get access to so much knowledge and experience. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned customers, which brings you to a very boring question. Sorry, sorry for that. Uh, but what's what's the business model behind this? Like, how do you plan mm -hmm. to to to? Get yeah. Revenue? So, so we have both like a B two B and a B two C side to our business, and both of them are like sort of seasonal right now. So, especially in in the last quarter of the year, last year we've been very successful on Amazon and and just direct to consumer sales because our our, our little gadget has been a, a sort of a, marked as a, a perfect STEM Christmas gift. Uh, and then throughout the year, we work a lot with uh, like B2B partners, which in our case means a lot of organizations who work with girls or kids to to uh, inspire them to code. So for example, uh, Black Girls Code in the US is one of our, our big partners or Girl Scouts. And then here in Sweden as well, we have sort of like large summer camps as well as at this point, we also have a couple like international schools uh, who are working with us. I can also imagine that this plays very well with local and and national, but also European governments. Uh, do you have any ongoing projects with them as well? 
Yeah, great question. So I, I guess, uh, like you said, we are a small startup trying to do <laughs> a very complex uh, solution. So for now, we've been really focused on sort of just like getting our image terms out and seeing the first reactions. And right now we are working a lot on extending our curriculum. So until now we have 12 hours of learning content, which we've been sort of like validating and, and seeing how it works in the classroom. And now we are starting to focus a lot more on how that could be, like you said, um, used on on a, a larger scale in terms of like procurement we're not uh, in any like national um curricula yet that hasn't been our focus uh but that is something that we are looking into for the future especially like as we are looking to to scale our solution great um one question that is very difficult to avoid is how the covid 19 crisis from last year has impacted your operations and your business um, i can imagine as an edtech company digital community um, you've seen an uptick uh, in terms of user growth but i'll, I'll let you sort of <laughs> explain that uh, to me instead yeah i mean this question is always like funny to me because actually we just got our imagine terms out of the factory like a year ago so it was already covid covid delayed our production so that was like the first thing actually my co-founder was uh, in in china at our factory i think like first week of january 2020 and that's where she first heard about the virus you know she was sitting at the airport and and uh, the loudspeakers were saying oh there's this new virus and and so we were like oh dang like our production will be delayed but at that point we didn't assume that there's going to be covid everywhere in the world and so it slowly slowly became the reality but we like launched our product in the middle of covid so I don't really have a, um, a reference point, right. so to say, how the reality could have been uh, without COVID. But you're right. I think there has been a lot of interest in sort of digital learning and also just like more openness that, wow, technology is so impactful and so important in our lives. So I think that is sort of like a positive um, outcome in that sense. Great. Um, anything else you want to achieve before the end of this year that you want to talk about? Well, uh, that is uh, an exciting question. Well, we've been focusing a lot on, like I said, growing our, our community. Um, and so our goal is to to have at least uh, a thousand girls who are like actively part of and, and are sort of like the core members of our community who are actively engaged on, on a daily basis, pretty much with Imagilabs. And so we're hoping to, to hit that number and find a really strong core and be able to grow from there. Actually, that leads me to another question. Do you have uh, the platform only in English or is it also available in other languages? Right. Yeah, I think so. This is also, again, <laughs> one of those like startup challenges, right? Like, uh, what do you focus on? So for now, we've kept everything in English because, you know, just to be able to, to solidify what is it that we're teaching, what is it that's working? Uh, of course, because our, our users are, are quite young, this can be challenging. But for now, it's been all in English because we've been focusing on, on the US. And, and um, here in Sweden, most uh, children do understand English. But definitely translation is a big part of what could help us sort of like localize. And we do have um, so like a mentor network. So these are young adults who are usually programmers themselves who are on our Discord channel. So if you join the Imagilabs Discord, you actually find... Uh, several kind of like localized channels where these local mentors are helping out with the coding problems in the app. And so that exists in Swedish, that exists in Hungarian, just because uh, we've gotten, you know, quite a few users from Hungary. Uh, and uh, when we see sort of like interest from another language, uh, we often have sort of like yeah, local volunteers who help out on, on the Discord server. 
Great, like proper online support groups. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and that's really fun that it's community driven. So that's not really us uh, driving it, but uh, yeah, but sort of like our community. Yeah. Um, one question that I had to, if you, if you, of course, target children between the ages of 10 and 15, what does that mean in terms of privacy and data regulation in, in, in most of the markets that you're active in? Because I could assume yeah. in the US it's different from Europe, obviously, but. Right, exactly. So, I mean, of course, privacy is a really, really important part of building any product for, for youth. This is why, actually, we have uh, like a very, like, you know, two-factor authentication sort of confirmation when you sign up to use our app. And so when you when you learn a lot about, oh, you should be optimizing for getting more users and, and don't put that wall for signing up, of course, like the, the safety of our users is sort of like number one. So, you know, that is a trade-off. <laughs> Like in in quotation mark that you have to take uh, as a founder when you're building an app for for youth because uh, it's really important that you actually have verified users and that you're able to um, you know monitor the content. So from the beginning, we built out systems in our app to report if a comment or content is is not appropriate, and we take like direct action on that. So we've taken that uh, into consideration from the start. Great. Uh, how big is the team now? So we have six full-time team members, um, and we have a couple part-timers. And, and now it's a, we call it summer intern season, but from our alma mater, so from NYU Abu Dhabi, we always have a few interns, which is really exciting. Fantastic. And how many do you reckon you'll be this time next year? Oh, wow. Tough question. Um, perhaps double. <laughs> Well, that's a good metric uh, to, me to measure against. <laughs> awesome. Then let, let's reconnect in a year and see where you are then. But, <laughs> but I really good. like I really like the concept. I think you know we, we always talk about getting more women in tech and not just in tech, but also you know in in, in investment and and as founders of companies uh, in the tech space. And the numbers, as you said, they don't just stagnate; they're actually going backwards uh, for mm. for many of these uh, of, the, of these elements. So. Yeah, what you're doing, I think, is great because you have to start at a very young age. It doesn't really happen overnight. It takes a bit of a, you know, it might take generations before the numbers really are up to par, but you have to start somewhere. So I think at the younger age, I think, is the right place to start. Uh, so really, really uh, like what you're doing, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll also turn into a very successful company for you. Thank you so much. And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Big, big thanks to Dora Palfi for coming on the show and to Robin Wouters for recording this interview. Our audio engineer is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are very welcome. Please do send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye.